How has the alcoholic situation affected my sanity and my life? Have I allowed the alcoholic situation to become my higher power? How? How has my thinking become distorted trying to handle the alcoholic behavior? Welcome to episode 222 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Allison. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Allison, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. I hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Today's show is based on three questions from the book Paths to Recovery in the chapter on Step 2. With my step study group, I looked at these questions last week, and there was some very lively discussion around them, and I thought that uh, since I have a short amount of time to record an episode this week, that it might be interesting to look at at least my answers to those questions and, and how they, for me, they sort of interlace with each other. One leads to the next and leads to the next. How has the alcoholic situation affected my sanity, my life? I had to look back for this one. It's been a while since I've been involved with an active alcoholic situation. But when when I was in the middle of it, and particularly before before I came to the Al-Anon program, before I came into recovery, I was pretty insane, really, in the sense of not not healthy in my mind. So the previous question that we had looked at was, what does sanity mean to me? The answer that I have for that now is that when I am saying I am healthy in mind and spirit, I was not healthy in my mind or my spirit. My life was really focused on the behavior of the alcoholic. It was focused on trying to get her to drink less or maybe even get her to stop. It was focused on how much she was drinking. It was focused on the effects of that drinking on our life as I saw it. And there was no room left in my life for almost anything else. I did manage to go to work, although my work life was definitely affected as well. I've spoken before about the the anger and the rage that I was carrying around that splattered out on people at work, not to my benefit, uh, I might add. Also, just the time that I spent worrying, the time that I spent obsessing about the situation took away from my sleep, took away from my enjoyment of life to the point where there was very little enjoyment left. Certainly, I believe, affected my work performance as well. If you're not getting enough sleep, it's hard to be focused at your job. It's hard to be focused at anything. I managed to get the kids to school and get people, the family fed and all that stuff. We survived, you know, we survived, but I wasn't really living at that point. As I said, I had, had anger everywhere. Anger came out at work, came out at the kids. Just drove my life to some extent. I isolated. We used to entertain a lot. We'd have people over for dinner. We'd have little parties. That just stopped. Didn't happen anymore. I couldn't talk to people about what was going on. And that made it difficult to 
engage in social activities when there's this huge part of your life that you can't talk about. And I wrote here at the end of the question, I said, the alcoholic situation brought me to my knees. And that's what brought me to Al-Anon. And so I have to have gratitude for the fact, let me rephrase that, I do have gratitude for the fact that I found Al-Anon. Because without Al-Anon, my life would be so, so different today. I'd still be in some crazy, even if even if the drinking wasn't going on anymore, they, I would still be in some crazy because that was where, those were the, the grooves that my mind had worn its way into. Second question, have I allowed the alcoholic to become my higher power? How? Thinking back, I answered, yes. Yes, I did. It was a very emphatic yes. There was no question in my mind that the alcoholic or the alcoholic situation was driving my life. It was shaping my life. I was doing things because of it. I was doing things in response to it. I was doing things to try to change the alcoholic behavior, to try to change the alcoholic person. In so many ways, that was the focus of my life. And in that way, because my life centered around the alcoholic and the alcoholic situation, it, in a very real sense, became my higher power. It drove me. It directed my actions, my thoughts. I wrote down some words here, enabling. I would do whatever I thought was necessary to relieve the pain of the situation, to relieve her pain, to support her. And I'm going to put support there in scare quotes or air quotes. Because what I came to understand after I came to Al-Anon was that I was not really helping by making excuses. I was not really helping by buying alcohol. I was not really helping by sheltering her from the consequences of her actions. I had a whole lot of magical thinking in the sense of if I just do the right thing, just say the right thing, everything will change. It just I just haven't figured it out. I haven't figured out quite the right thing yet. And in our meeting last week, I related a story that for me illustrates how this magical thinking about drinking drove my life for, for a week when we were on vacation. It was the year I turned 50. We flew out to California, to Southern California, to visit my brother. We were there for my 50th birthday, and we went to Disneyland, which was also turning 50 that year. Seemed like a, a fun coincidence. Took our two kids with us. We stayed in a hotel near the beach you know, set up for a great vacation here. And it was, it actually was a good vacation. But one of the things that I like to do when I travel, and I think I've said this before, is to visit microbreweries and brew pubs. That's one of the things that I enjoy doing. I don't remember if it was when we got to California or before we went, my wife decided to not drink during the vacation, which, hey, that's great, you know, except... My magical thinking said, and, and there may have been some truth to this too, but my magical thinking said, because she's not drinking, I can't drink. And therefore, I can't go visit the brew pubs and microbreweries in Southern California that I really want to go visit because she's not drinking. So you can see how that thinking, how her behavior drove mine, how I made her my higher power. She decided not to drink, and therefore I couldn't drink. I mean, what is that other than, than you know, following her will? 
for my life, I guess, as I perceived it. And this is the thing, like, I don't, I don't know whether, I really don't know what would have happened if I had drunk, whether she would have drunk. And at the end of the vacation, actually, before we got on the plane, she said to me, you know, I can't, I can't not drink on the plane. It's my flying bar. And I was so pissed because partly I think, Partly I had thought, well, wow, she's going to be sober for a whole week. She's going to be not drinking for a whole week. Like, maybe this will stick. Magical thinking again, right? What nothing really had changed. But I thought, I'm going to support her by not drinking, and then she's going to not drink. And when, and then she, you know, right at the end of the week, it's like, well, I'm back to normal, back to, you know, status quo. And, you know, I was really mad, but I didn't, I didn't show it. I had enough Al-Anon at that point to know that that was not going to be productive. So, yeah, I definitely, at that point in my life, was, was letting the alcoholic be my higher power. I was setting her up as the director of my life. She didn't ask for it. Of course she didn't ask for it. Um, as, as we were talking about this, one of, the, uh, one of the other people in my group said, yeah, it's like I was a puppet and the alcoholic was pulling the strings. I said, exactly, exactly. And that, for me, then rolls right into how has my thinking become distorted trying to handle the alcoholic behavior. And you've definitely heard already some of that distortion that happened. The word that I wrote as we were talking and underlined is obsession. And I think that that one word says it a lot. I was obsessed. When there weren't other things that I had to deal with, that's where my thinking went. What did I write? I wrote, continuing to think that I just need to find the right way to fix it. If I just say things the right way, if I just slam the wine bottles into the recycling loudly enough, she'll understand that she's drinking too much. Well, you know, I came to realize that she knew she was drinking too much. It was not that she didn't know. It was that she didn't know how to not drink. During this time, I was not able to express my real feelings meet a friend, and they're like, how are you? And I'm like, fine. Okay. I could not talk about how I felt. If I had opened up that door, I don't know. I don't know. It would have just flooded out, I think. And there were a few times during that period when I was able to talk about it a little bit with somebody, but not much. And bottling up my feelings in that way definitely, definitely was not healthy and distorted my ability to interact with the people around me. I had this illusion of power, this if only, coming back to that, see the obsession? The obsession and the if only and the I just need to figure out the right way. Yeah, distorted thinking. Another example of distorted thinking, and this one has damaged our our finances for quite a while because I figured, well, she's spending all this money on wine. I get to spend some money on me. And this was money to a large extent, money we didn't have. We ran up a lot of credit card debt during those years. And we're very close to paying that off, which feels wonderful. But we ran up a lot of debt. And part of that was this feeling of entitlement that I had, that I got to spend money on me because she was spending so much money on her thing, her wine. Not healthy thinking, not straight thinking, distorted thinking right there. So that, that's the way that I answered those three questions. How would you answer those three questions? If you'd like to, to share your experience, strength, and hope, your thoughts about these questions with us, 
you can do that. You can call at 734-707-8795. You can call and leave a message, a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. And if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We would love to hear from you, whether you're sharing your thoughts on these three questions. Also, I'm still working on an episode on parenting. We've got sort of three aspects of parenting that we could talk about. Parenting as an adult child of an alcoholic and how you are working to not pass that on to your children. Parenting as the sober parent in an alcoholic marriage or parenting children who are addicts or alcoholics. Those are three separate parenting topics that I'd like to cover. I want to thank people who have already sent in their thoughts and their experience, strength, and hope. We'll be putting that together into an episode soon. And I think at least one person, just trying to pull this out of my memory, at least one person wrote and said, two people wrote and said they'd they'd love to contribute to that episode directly, and I'll try to contact you to set that up. I will say that Next weekend, I normally record on the weekends. Next weekend is absolutely full because I'll be spending weekend locked in a church with 50 or 60 teenagers. And by the time it comes around to Sunday when I usually record the show, I know I will be exhausted. I'll try to find an open talk for you next week. I've got one song that I want to talk about for this episode. I just heard it recently. It's a song by Jamila Woods titled Holy. And it weaves... Words from the Bible in with thoughts about being your own person, about loving yourself. And it just really spoke to me. I, I heard it and, and I had to hear it again. And I thought this is, is a perfect song for recovery. Some of the lyrics here. Give me today my daily bread. Help me to walk alone ahead. Though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no love Oh, smile, my mind, reassure me, I don't need no one. Woke up this morning with my mind set on loving me, with my mind set on loving me. I'm not lonely, I'm alone, and I'm holy by my own. And there was a little bit more down here. My cup is full up, what I got is enough. Nobody completes me, don't mess with my stuff. The melding of this image from the psalm with loving ourself, with being self-sufficient, really spoke to me so and in in particularly in connection with the, the questions we talked about today a few thoughts about about my life in the last week and yesterday in particular the yesterday where in the evening at my meeting we read it was reading about reacting to angry words and about reacting to to being accused of doing something and how, when that happens, our, our first impulse is to try to justify and defend. And I thought back to something that happened earlier in the day where somebody that I had been trying to work in a group with at, at church came and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing something else and I'm going to be withdrawing from this group. We talked a little bit and it appeared that this person sort of blamed me for making this him making this change and and I didn't really I don't I still don't really understand why but I thought back over our interactions because 
my program says when I was wrong, promptly admitted it, and I didn't know where I was wrong here, and if I was wrong, or if it was his perception of something that I did, which is entirely possible. So it made me think of that, and and when I shared at the meeting, I said, you know, I know I'm here, I needed to hear that reading, because it so reflects back on a thing that just happened today that I'm still processing. Recovery works in all aspects of my life. I also spent some time on Saturday with a new sponsee talking about step one, and it reminded me why why working with others is so powerful in this program, because I'm hopeful that what I said helped them, but the whole experience also helped me to at least recenter, if nothing else. I have a share from Julie, who sent this in for the episode on the three Ps, procrastination, paralysis, and perfection. And I lost track of it, and I just found it yesterday. So here's Julie. Hi, Spencer. This is Julie calling from Madrid. I started listening to your show about two years ago, actually before I even got into the program. And I just wanted to call and say thank you. It's helped me so much listening to your show over the past two years when I can't get to a meeting. And even before it, there were very many options for meetings uh, here in English. It was really helpful to listen to the to the program and get the message of Al-Anon. So thank you. I wanted to share a little bit about the three Ps, perfectionism, procrastination, and paralysis. And uh, I think for me, what's come up most recently is paralysis. Between me and my husband, he will do something um, that triggers me and I will be paralyzed and I'll experience that paralysis. And then when that happens to me, when I don't respond to him, he gets frustrated, upset with me, and then it just snowballs. It's something I'm still working through. I don't really understand. I don't really understand completely why I get paralyzed, why I feel so frozen. But I know that it has to do with alcoholism, that it has to do with the fact that I was raised in an alcoholic family and that we didn't feel safe expressing our feelings or emotions and there was no emotional support in my family. So when he, when my husband expresses his feelings of, you know, being upset or angry with me, I, I don't respond. I freeze and that makes him really frustrated. And then we end up getting into this bigger fight because of like this misunderstanding. Um, because when I'm frozen, when I'm paralyzed, when I don't respond, when I don't say anything to him that comes across as I don't care and that I didn't hear you. So I'm having to work on, even when I feel, you know, that feeling of being frozen inside, like I can't say anything because it's not safe, how to still say, I hear you, you know, and validate what he's saying. So yeah, I'm working on it. I, you know, I have awareness and now it's the acceptance that I'm working on. My time is almost up again. So um, I'll leave it at that. Thanks. Julie called back on the, uh, the topic of the questions from step one also. Hi, Spencer. It's Julie here again. Now I'm calling to respond to some of the past recovery questions. How do I feel when the alcoholic refuses to be and do what I want? How do I respond? And I was thinking about myself before the Al-Anon program. 
Um, my dad is my qualifier and um, he had lost a lot of weight. He had stopped eating. He was depressed and he could hardly feed himself. His hand would shake. I would come home just once a year because I am living abroad in Madrid. I would just cry when I saw him and I would say, you know, if you would do this, if you would eat more, if you would exercise, you know, and just kind of get into that behavior of begging and pleading and, you know, using logic and reason. Can't you see you need to take better care of yourself? Then after I got into the program and I came home and, you know, he was continuing to deteriorate, his health was continuing to deteriorate. I had the program and I was able to say, okay, if you're going to drink, I'm going to leave the room. And I was able to have detachment and it was really uncomfortable and difficult, uh, but I did it. Yeah, that was the first time I practiced detachment with my family that I was able to see, like, I, there's nothing I can do. I'm completely powerless, you know, really putting step one into action. My dad has since passed away. But I was able to move back to uh, my parents' house and um, help take care of my dad as he continued to have different um, health problems because of the progression of alcoholism. And I was able to be there and show up and uh, take care of myself while I was taking care of him and my mom. Uh, my mom was also sick. She also passed away from cancer. Yeah, if it weren't for the Al-Anon program, I don't know if I would have been able to show up, be fully present, but at the same time, leave them alone. There was a lot of amends that were made that year. was really able to let go of all of the resentment that I had against my dad. And I just feel like, yeah, I've healed so much because of this program and from responding differently. Thank you, Julie. Lisa wrote, Hi, Spencer. Can't thank you enough for this podcast. I loved the Courage episode. Love the music, too. Could you direct me to episode numbers that would help adult children on how to parent and not feel guilty about having no idea how to parent without controlling? God bless you, Lisa. Lisa, we haven't actually done that episode yet. I would love to. There definitely are some episodes on controlling. So, Controlling Behavior, episode 207, Cause, Cure, and Control. That's more about not being able to. I didn't cause it, I didn't cure it, I can't control it, the three C's, that's episode 81. Setting Boundaries Without Controlling, episode 44. So those are those are three three episodes at least that have the word control or controlling in the title. Uh, might be helpful. I do have these parenting episodes coming up. Anne says, hi Spencer, I have listened to your podcast several times over. What can I say? You are an amazing man and what a great show. Every time I listen while I am painting, I'm a portrait painter. You have altered my life so completely, really, you have. I relate so much to what you speak of. I have started attending Al-Anon because of you, and these meetings I am starting to change and become a better person. I would like to start with the steps, but we don't seem to do sponsors here in Scotland. I might have that wrong. Do you have any advice for doing them on your own? I totally imagine that you have a million emails a day, so I'll understand if you can't get back to me on this one. Love from Scotland, Anna. And um, doing the steps on your own. What I would say is if, if this is my experience, my experience is that I find it much more fulfilling and I learn a whole lot more about myself when I work the steps with at least one other person. 
whether that other person is a sponsor or just a friend in the program. So if sponsoring is not a thing that normally happens in your area, you could do what I've done several times, which is to join or help form a small group of people who who get together to study and work through the steps. In our area, we often call those groups AWOL, that's A-W-O-L, stands for a way of life or a way of living. And in that way, the people in the group support each other in, in this exploration and in this study and in this progress. So think about, think about that. If not, maybe just find one other person that you can work with that you can maybe mutually work through. It is helpful to have somebody with more experience when you get to some of the hard steps like step four and step eight. And that's where I, I recommend having a sponsor when working those steps, but it's not, you know, it's not necessary. And, and we each do things in our own way. So I hope that helps. Julie called with some thoughts on courage. Hi, Spencer. This is Julie calling from Madrid. I'm calling to share on courage and to answer the question, how has recovery given you courage to change the things you can? Uh, For me, the courage to change the things I can, which is myself, comes from knowing that I always have choices and my faith in my higher power. Recovery has given me the self-awareness to know that there are character defects that I do have the power to change. I, for a long time, just thought this is the way I am. This is a part of who I am. And my faith and dependence on my higher power gives me the courage to let those character defects go, hand them over to my higher power, and to be open and willing to doing something different. Courage also comes from knowing that I have choices and getting away from all of those shoulds and oughts of what I have to do and really focusing on what I want to do and what I hear my higher power calling me to do. For me, recovery also brought about the courage to admit that I don't have everything figured out and that that's okay. Courage gives me the ability to take things one step at a time, one day at a time, and to trust that more more will be revealed in time. A big moment of courage for me personally happened about two years ago when I decided to move back to the States to, to take care of both of my parents. One who was my qualifier, who was very sick because of his disease, alcoholism, and uh, my other parent was very sick with cancer. And they both passed away last year. And the courage that I gained from the Al-Anon program carried me through all of last year. You know, all these huge decisions that had to be made about taking care of my parents. I just took it one step at a time. And that courage was really given to me through the wisdom from the people in the program and my higher power. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for that share. And a couple of emails asking about donating by shopping at Amazon. Sharon says, I attempted to set you up as my Amazon Smile designated charity, but the link on your homepage just goes to the main Amazon site. And Sujata wrote, Dear Spencer, hello, after a long time. Today I tried ordering books from your site. Don't know whether Amazon India is linked to you. Anyway, do let me know. The answer to both of those questions is, I'm sorry, uh, that actually doesn't work. I have not gone through the work of 
setting up the recovery show as a registered charity, and so I can't be an Amazon Smile. The uh, the way to donate by shopping is to use the link on the website, and that does that does donate to the show, does contribute to the show. I just have to pay taxes on it. And Sujata, I think I'm only set up with Amazon US. Uh, each each country has its own own set of rules and regulations and its own way of paying out from Amazon. The bulk of my listeners are in the U.S., and I apologize to those of you who are overseas and, and want to donate by shopping and can't, but that's okay. Just follow the links to the books that you want to get and get them because they will help you, and that's really why we're here. I only ask for donations to help support this activity of bringing some recovery to to you. What I heard today tells me that I am succeeding at that, and that is my that is my really satisfaction about this show is that it is helping people. It is helping you. So if you can't make it work, I'm okay with that. I really am. Give a little bit more money to your local meeting instead. So thank you for listening. And please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.